Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They called me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. This is one of the most exciting evenings of the week for us, your faithful correspondents. We get to hear directly from you. Tonight, we are going to explore... Uh, <laughs> a place that has uh, fascinated us for many, many years. Uh, we are going to learn about dangerous chemical exposures to veterans and to civilians across the world. We're going to ask some questions about why the United Kingdom is getting so creepy <laughs> around possible disasters before we uh, we're going to we're also going to hear some uh conversations about airplane safety. We're going to hear from soup sandwich before we do any of that, let's go to, oh God, uh, Matt, you remember years and years ago, went through that North Sentinel Island phase, wanted to go so bad, wanted to go so bad. You can't no, go. don't you go. You shouldn't go. Don't, you don't shouldn't go. go. And <laughs> Big, Perp, go. Big Perp has uh, a really cool thing uh, that really stuck out to you, Noel, which also, uh, no spoilers, reminds me a little bit of some conversations we had about the nature of language on Ridiculous History. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the uh, film um, Arrival by uh, Villeneuve, uh, Denis Villeneuve, which uh, posits that aliens, if they were paying attention to us and they did come and visit us, would have no analog to what our language might be. And it would be up to us to figure out what their language was. And I think Big Perp really nails something, whether a thought experiment or a real thing or not. I think it's very cool. 
Hey guys, call me Big Perp and feel free to use this if you want. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. These are, by the way, some of our favorite types of listener mails where we get a lot of information, a lot of like your thoughts and rabbit holings, and then we get to just sort of like bandy it about for like 15 minutes. I only discovered your show about two years ago and it has become one of my weekly must listens. As a newcomer, I also have the benefit of enjoying classic episodes as they were just dropped, which feels like double the STDWYTK content each week. Very nice. Well, it is technically, but thank you. Glad that someone's paying attention. Earlier this evening, I listened to the classic North Sentinel Island episode for the first time. However, I was already quite familiar with the topic. Back when I first heard of the Sentinelese, which is actually a new term to me, maybe we mentioned it in the episode, but I did not Mm -hmm. recall that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was flabbergasted that such people could still exist in the 21st century. I think that's partially why the story is so fascinating to all of us. So I read up, that was me. Um, So I read up on all of them and eventually came to one simple conclusion. We should all leave them alone forever, period. During the episode, you discussed their language and the fact that it's completely unintelligible, even to tribes of nearby islands. I hadn't given it much thought when I first studied the topic, but your comment about their speech developing without any outside influence makes me think that it's just possible that someday the tiny population of NSI, North Sentinel Island, could have a life-changing impact on every single person residing on planet Earth. And guys, when I was reading this email, I think we all go through this. We like look through emails and we're always looking for like a gotcha moment or an aha like thing. That was it for me. Life-changing impact on every single person on planet Earth. How could such a niche thing have such a great impact potentially on the rest of us? Big perp goes on. If we aren't alone in the universe and another species travels here to interact with us, what are the odds that we would have any chance of understanding each other? One could assume that the people of a faraway planet would also intermingle as they develop and would have similar languages all over their world, much the same as we do here. Surely they would recognize a dialect of their planet that they aren't fluent in the same way an English speaker can recognize Spanish, German, Italian, etc. without being able to understand a word of it. This is so smart. But would they be able to make any sense of it? What if the North Sentinelese have developed a language closer to that of an alien race than any dialect of the modern world? Could a deep dive study of these people possibly help us to be better prepared for a visit from beyond our galaxy? Would it be worthwhile to the human race as a whole to force a small number of the force? I don't care for that word uh, of the NSI population to communicate with us. Should we study them with spy technology attached to drones? Is it better to just leave them alone and let the alien visitors be the first completely unknown language we have to scramble uh, to understand? Personally, I lean towards the drone spy option, but I have to wonder if we could actually make any progress without a person to work with face-to-face to make sure we understand each other. I would also feel horrible knowing that we contaminated and probably killed an innocent person just to prepare for guests that may never arrive. And this is all I can think about now. It was so much easier to want to leave them alone before I thought of this. And that's what I love about your podcast. 
Thank you. Um, keep up the good work, guys, and thanks for the informative stuff to keep my brain on its toes. Big perp. First of all, love the idea of brains having toes. I yield my time. Guys, this is so fun. I don't even want to start. Oh, well, okay. Well, I, um, it's a little... Maybe I'm maybe I'm just not fully feeling it in the same way. I do like this big perp. I like this idea. Um, I it's think a thought experiment. That's th- what it is. No, it is a great thought experiment. I think because it's humans that have roughly the same hardware that everybody mm-hmm. else does, mm-hmm. studying a language is going to be very different. It, it's not going to have the same applic- application, I think, that we're talking about here. Because we, we have no idea what the hardware is going to look like on some other species that visit us, right? Yeah. Um, but again, the process of translating and learning a completely new language that we have no reference for could be a great exercise, right? And and that's been done in the past. Think about... Um, Feral kids, for example, that like maybe grow up not having any um, exposure to the outside world. And then how do we interact with them like what is it that their hardware naturally inclines them to do sorry was that too much of a right oh no i'm just thinking about it um it's similar right remember there there are stories of like kids that have never they've been like kept like in mowgli like yeah i know what you're talking about there um yeah i I was thinking more about just indigenous populations when they encountered like spanish or european mm -hmm. colonizers for the first time and just a completely different form of language um and, and having to learn that on, right on both sides. Um, I don't know. I, I, sorry, I'm caught up yeah, on, the, no, on no. the alien species thing. Well, that's <laughs> the thing, you. Matt. You're, you're, you're totally right in that language springs from function. And mm-hmm. uh, we use language because we, as earthlings, even like millennia ago, have a certain environment. And we cannot possibly assume that an alien species would have an environment anywhere related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that point. And what I like about this big perp first off is your interest in North Sentinel Island. Uh, North Sentinel Island is not the entirety of the Sentinelese population. There is, There are other islands where Sentinelese people live and their language does share uh, a bit of uh, imagined I guess, etymology or commonality, the same way that uh, Indo-European languages, right, are uh, mutually unintelligible now, but do have some common roots. And I love the idea to obviously shout out to every fellow conspiracy realist who is immediately thinking through the science fiction examples of uh, of exploration of language, right? Shout out to Neil Stevenson's Anathema, which does something quite common in science fiction, positing that math would be the universal language. To your excellent observation, Matt, there's this idea of like the hardware aspect. Humans communicate uh, through their existing senses, right? Being able to read, being able to hear and transmit sound what if there is uh what if there's a spacefaring civilization or situation that communicates entirely through smell or taste or touch how would one translate what's the rosetta stone for that one and uh, one thing that i think is really really cool here too is the idea of what would be called maybe an original language an untouched language there's a guy named uh <laughs> there's a guy named king james four don't find him on twitter he's very very dead 
Uh, and he he was one of those dudes who said, what if we raise someone, to your point, Noel, like uh, raise someone with no access to existing languages? What if we create feral children? Will they then naturally uh, iterate a language, like the quote-unquote original language? Is there an original language? And this is way before there were any ethical constraints on those kind of experiments. But it would still spring from being a being with two arms and two legs. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the idea. Like the original language idea is if these people weren't being, or if these children Right. Because there is the the big thing about feral children, to your point, they are real uh, throughout history. The big thing is the cognitive developmental window of learning a language. Now, the the more romanticized version is like the Ramus, uh, Romulus and Remus kind of thing, like the kids get raised by wolves and go on to found great civilizations. But uh, the more common uh, real life examples of this are sadly neglected and abused children who don't get the interaction required to become part of a society to learn some sort of language. And after a certain window of development, they lose the ability to learn a language. That's why no matter what kind of polyglot you are, there are certain languages, certain phonemes uh, or morphemes sounds that you cannot reproduce if you did not learn the language during that window. And I think that is endlessly fascinating. Also, don't go to Norse Sentinel Island. Probably a movie that didn't age super well, but remember Nell? Wasn't that about Jodie Foster, Mm -hmm. where she sort of had her own little phrases and expressions? Something about Tay in the Wind? That's the only only one anyone remembers. Um, (laughs) But also, you know, it's funny. We um, Are you guys familiar with The Miracle Worker? Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's a story about someone that's lacking a a sense and then kind of creates their own language. And a lot of times when people that can't actually hear but can still speak, they formulate syllables and almost create like a language that isn't necessarily the same, but it's sort of based on the same foundation of the language the rest of us, you know, are using. But that's largely because they're taught by someone that does have all of their senses and is teaching them based on that. So you have to wonder in a vacuum if we had a whole group of people that like couldn't hear, um, would they formulate a completely different language without any input? Absolutely. The key is the social dynamic the need to communicate with one perceived as peers. Unfortunately, in addition to language, there will also be the generation of hierarchy, which is kind of bad for civilization. But I like the, um, the reason I'm shouting out King James of Scotland in particular is because several years ago on a, a sister show of ours, ridiculous history, we talked about these language experiments and North, Sentinel Island gets, again, these folks get romanticized pretty often, unfortunately. And that romanticization is the kind of things that it's the kind of phenomenon, I would say, that will lead very well-intentioned people uh, like the the late Christian missionary a few years back uh, to attempt to intrude upon their organization or their community is also incredibly important to note. Big Perp, I can't remember if we got to it in our original video, 
uh, on YouTube or if we got to it in a in a episode. But it's important to note that in the 1800s, European colonizers, to your point, Matt, uh, did not only intrude upon the community of North Sentinel Island, they abducted several people. They transmitted pathogens. They poisoned the community and people got sick. They got burned. Of course, these folks may not, you know, be on TikTok or whatever, but they're just as intelligent as every other living human being. So, of course, they're not going to want to mess with these folks anymore. Well, and, and my final thought here is that, you know, once again, we return to science fiction. Oftentimes, uh, conflicts in science fiction between, let's say, like a Star Trek type situation result from not being able to understand each other and uh, in misinterpretation of intent. And that, you know, one could argue this uh, missionary going to North Sentinel Island did not go there to do them harm. He was not going there to colonize them or try to convert them. Well, arguably, whatever. But they saw him as a as a dangerous interloper and they dealt with him as such. And John Allen Chow was, in his mind, he was attempting to save them. No, I, I was proselytizing I for Christian religion. But he wasn't going to infect them with the plague. Right. Mm. <laughs> At the very least, you know, mm. maybe a, so, a plague of the mind, perhaps. So we're saying we need to send in the drones? Is that what we're saying? Send we're in to, the drones. We're, we need to do what we need to do is a straight up Star Trek Darmok episode. If you guys remember that. 102nd episode of oh, Star Trek The it. Next Generation. Really? Did you, <laughs> yeah, did you have is, that queued up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. No, it's it's where they Come speak on. in metaphor. They speak yes. in metaphor, right? I, I, you guys remember that one? No, of course I don't no, remember that one. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> There's too many episodes of that show. But I, I would argue, and, and Max, uh, super producer Max of Ridiculous History would agree, Star Trek does a great job of encapsulating the like interpersonal exchanges of alien races and like humanity. And sometimes that can feel a little talky, preachy, thinky. It's not all excitement and like, you know, explosions, but I think it's very, very important and probably what uh, Gene Roddenberry intended. So that's it. <laughs> Big perp. As I suspected, this uh, yielded a lot of good conversation. So thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break and have a word from our sponsor and come back with more messages from you. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. All right, we've returned. Guys, much like the whole water obsession I had there for, I don't know, a couple months, uh, I now find myself in an airplane obsession mode. You did, I, yeah. <laughs> sure. The, the flappy windows, you know, yeah. I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, I don't fly very often, but when I do... I don't know why I have a tremendous sense of dread. Maybe it has something to do with that. What was his name? Miller? Uh, Did you hear the update about the guy, the the mushroom pilot? Mushroom pilot? What? No, the pilot that like put all of his passengers at risk because he was high on mushrooms, quote unquote. He wasn't, he no. wasn't the pilot. He, he was he, a pilot on the plane. No, he was he was the, the he was the co-pilot at the very least. He he did a thing. He he pulled a thing that was like an engine shutdown, and then he asked the uh, stewardesses to handcuff him. He was an off-duty pilot who no he, he attempted to cut off the plane engine. Okay, fair enough. I don't know how he got into the cockpit in that respect, but I thought he was flying the the flight. He was in the jump seat. I thought fair enough, but my understanding is that he was either flying the plane or co-piloting the plane and was having this existential crisis and he didn't know if he was in a dream or in reality and he pulled a thing that shut the engine down and now he's facing serious charges but he apparently had taken mushrooms for the first time like six days beforehand while mourning his friend who died like seven years ago and he apparently had a a purely psychotic break and is now facing serious charges. All, all this to say, if you've never done psychedelics before and you're in a bad mental state and maybe you're lacking mental health care, don't do it if you're having to fly a plane in six days. Don't follow Joseph David Emerson. No, and no peer pressure. Don't succumb to peer pressure. Okay, but he wasn't or was on mushrooms? He when was, was on the mushrooms. Time. He was not flying. The plane. He was not Got on it. mushrooms. He had taken mushrooms like six days before and it apparently triggered something in him that did not subside okay he was not actually under the influence of psychedelics like mushrooms are very short-lived right so he wasn't actively dropping mushrooms and flying absolutely the not but he whatever, was neither actively on mushrooms nor was he actively flying the plane fair enough but whatever he did he was in the cockpit and he pulled a thing and then he said Please put handcuffs on me. And, you know, I, I thought that he was the pilot, but maybe I've, I've misread the, uh, the articles. He pulled some kind of engine shutdown thing. Like he got into the cockpit, I thought. And then he tried to exit through the like emergency hatch. He did several things that he is being charged with 
attempted manslaughter. Like, yeah. however many people were on the plane, he was being charged with attempted manslaughter of that many people. Yeah, 83 counts of reckless endangerment. Wow. Well, um, we're not talking about that kind okay. of dangers okay. on a okay. flight okay. today. Okay. Uh, we're we're going to hear from two listeners who deal directly with flight safety in different aspects, just to give us some more perspective on our discussion about that plane that took off, remember, with the missing windows? Mm-hmm. Flappity-doos. Yeah. The flappity-doos. <laughs> Here we go. First one is from Ground Control. Hey, Matt, Ben, and Noel. This is Ground Control. I work for a major legacy airline in San Francisco at their hub, and I work on the ramp. I can tell you a lot about the uh, inspections that go into the aircraft. I'm not a mechanic, but I do bring in the aircraft, and you are correct, Matt. A pilot does also do a visual inspection prior to departure. Um, as a marshal or receiver and dispatcher, I do that when I get an airplane. And before a airplane departs, you are within 15 minutes of departure. We also do a visual inspection in case the crew is changed or you know anything happens while we're loading up and loading down the aircraft. Uh, that being said, I have on multiple occasions called my control and had mechanics come out because I've seen cracked windows or missing outer plates and had the mechanics show up and go, oh yeah, that's fine. And the aircraft go out. So it's a little surprising that they didn't catch missing <laughs> stick window panes before this uh, Airbus went out from London, but not entirely uncommon. And from my personal experience, a lot of the time, not what you might want to hear, is the mechanics show up and go, oh, yeah, you don't need that. Pieces of the wing, panels, panels where power goes, uh, whole big chunks of cargo doors just gone. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. And you're like, oh, okay, didn't know a plane didn't mean most of its parts. But that is sometimes how it goes. Anyway, I hope you guys are doing well, and uh, happy holidays if you participate. Uh, feel free to give me a call back. All right. Bye. Listener is not, however, positing that it was okay that one of these uh, window coverings was missing, right? They're just saying that the uh, the mechanical checks are probably not as 100% as passengers would imagine them to be. Yeah, maybe that's exactly it. And we kind of get into it a little bit in that episode where we cover it, but... Um, uh, to hearing it from someone who is a, I think this is what I heard you say, ground control, a marshaller and a dispatcher. And there's one other thing in there that you function as. Um, but it sounds like somebody who um, helps ferry in the planes and send the planes out, right? Oh, Matt, I got to say also <laughs> to ground control. I am so impressed when people know semaphore and I know, you know, semaphore, dude. That's awesome. Well, it just goes to show that it's sort of a very procedural checklist kind of thing that doesn't always involve all of your senses because you're trying to move things through as quickly as possible, right? Yeah, often you are, but I think there's a, a big safety aspect to to what ground control does as well. Mm. Um, just, man, we were laughing. I don't know if we're going to keep that laughter in while it's playing, but man, we're just cracking up 
hearing, you know, the thought of mechanics looking at big chunks of an Ooh. aircraft missing and just going, ah, you don't need it's that. It's fine. I and- hope so. <laughs> you know, you got you got the one wing. Come on. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? I, turn around? I think that's what I'm getting at is that, like, if you're that level of expertise, you're so focused on your thing that, like, some mm-hmm. other thing just, ah, who cares about that? No big deal. Forget about it. Until something goes wrong. Well, of course. Right. Then it's, again, like that's the danger of siloing, right? The advantage uh, advantage of task siloing is, in theory, that someone will focus 100% on the thing that they're looking at, right? And in a perfect world, for something like an aircraft, there are going to be uh, people who specifically 100% focus on the one thing that is um that is a difficult proposition to make uh and as such you know not to sound too dungeons and dragons people do end up multiclassing and i want to take a second to just shout out not just you ground control but everybody working in aviation because these folks get scapegoated so often when something goes wrong. And a lot of times those problems start at the top in the C-suite of the airlines. For I'm sure. Like, I mean, I think it's crazy that we fly on planes that still have ashtrays in the armrests. You know, it just goes to show like how long it takes to fully refit these planes. But Matt, um, isn't it also a thing that like, shouldn't this be an example of how AI or more like computerized systems would be helpful in a situation like this? It does. It reminds me of uh, the systems Delta has been putting in place for years now to get drones to look at these planes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but that is only, again, in those major checkups, right? Mm-hmm. So Which only happens take, periodically, like not yeah. like every flight and landing. We're talking tens of thousands of flight miles, you know, like a long time in between. But what if you did have a system where at at every terminal, you know, there's a series of drones that go around and just do a quick exterior check on the planes that doesn't seem like that bad of an idea and it doesn't seem that expensive either because that would be the c-suite argument it doesn't seem too cost prohibitive at scale and matt this reminds me of when we were talking about the technical rule for how you drive a car you are supposed to do the uh four point check before you get in the vehicle to begin with, and how many people do that? You know, how often do you check your oil before the light goes on? You don't have to answer, folks. I don't want to shame anyone. You know, and in the olden days, that would have been more important. But now we depend on things like check engine lights or like, you know, low tire pressure lights and the sensors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's continue down this this flight path, guys. There we uh, go. We've, we've yeah. got another listener who called in that has experience with planes in a slightly different different way i want to remind everyone of our conversation about the pre-flight check so that before a plane takes off the pilot and co-pilot whatever that team looks like and is made up of they run through a huge checklist that's laid out in a book or you know in that's written down right checking the systems and you've also got a quick walk around by the pilot to do a visual check on the plane that's that happens every time a flight takes off but there's a little more nuance to this that maybe I didn't understand, and we're going to hear from Soup Sandwich uh, that has some more insight. Hey, guys. Uh, you can call me Soup Sandwich. Uh, I wanted to speak my two cents about your last episode for Strange News about the 
airplane whose windows popped out. Now, I work in military aviation. Standards might be different in civilian, but we still adhere to FAA. For us, prior to flight, we have to do a pre-flight inspection. That pre-flight inspection is good for 24 hours. So that aircraft can take off, land, take off, land, have a few flights within a 24-hour period without needing another pre-flight. That, okay, just hearing those words, mm-hmm. they just, you know, they, they hit me and I go, oh, okay, wait a second. That means you could do a pre-flight check in the morning, uh, let's say with that, that London flight, right? Or that, sure. that flight that was going to Orlando. Um, it's getting ready to take off in that morning, gets a pre-flight check. It lands way the heck over in Orlando. Now it's going to take off again and head north somewhere within the contiguous United States. And you it hasn't hit 24 hours. You right. don't have to check it again? Are you kidding me? It's pre-flight. It's before all the flights that could occur in 24 <laughs> hours. It, it's a pre-flight it's, check. It's a rubric, though, you know? And, like, somebody has set these these factors, right? Yeah. Well, think, think about it this way. And this is maybe something I'm just getting completely wrong. When you get off of an – let's say you take a flight, London to Orlando. Mm-hmm. You are a passenger on that plane. As you're exiting, that plane doesn't turn off. It gets refueled, though, right? Do you have to turn it off to refuel it the way you would have to turn off a ve- another vehicle, like oh, a car? you'd assume, but maybe not. I'd assume. But, like, what if it's, like, some... I, I'm just speculating like crazy here. I'm sorry. I was like, what if they just don't turn the thing off, and that's what constitutes it still on its same flight? Oh, I'm right, just, I'm, just right. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but, hey, I, I happened to call back uh, Soup Sandwich just to get a little more information. Um, and I really think the expertise of military aviation here, applying it to this, is is uh, worth oh, our time. Oh, it's key. Because, I mean, military aviation came well before commercial flight, right? Yeah. And, and, and something uh, she really wanted to get across is that if there was no direct indication of damage to that window on just a visual check, it was not, and it would not be considered an oversight by the pilots doing that visual check. It is literally the the things that you would get dinged on is that if it was if any person would look at it visually and go, oh, there's something wrong with that window. That's basically what uh, what she was saying. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not soup sandwich. Um, I'm just going to keep reading just a couple things we talked about. If the pre-flight instructions like that manual didn't tell them to regularly inspect like specific areas of the plane visually, then again. It's probably not something that anyone would would have expected those pilots to do, so they probably wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. It basically saying, look, if it's not in the rules and the regulations are written down in some place where this is standard operating procedure, it's probably not going to occur. So maybe mm-hmm. it should be. I yeah. Also, it is. I mean, it happens where people will go and and soup sandwich. We've never spoken, but. Uh, I believe it is somewhat uncommon, right, for someone who has, again, a focused amount of time, right, to, and they, they, are, they are siloed into this one thing they do, uh, it is asking a lot of them to go above and beyond, right, outside of the rules, which is why the rules are, uh, in theory, so comprehensive and so thorough. Indeed, uh, it could be a situation where, uh, and you know, ground control, uh, ground control to Major Ben here. I, I don't want to, I don't want to put anything askance here, but those mechanics are probably just also 
following rules and they're looking specifically not not for something that gives them a bad vibe, but for something that violates the explicitly written rules. That's and by how, design. How do you not punish the honor student in that situation? And my oh, question yeah. is, how often do those rules get revised? And I would argue Ugh. because of the technology, unless there's something very new being introduced into the equation, probably not often at all. Mm. I don't know how often, though. Well, we can find out. I, I just want to mention this. When I talked to Soup Sandwich, she was working in the hangar at that moment. Nice. She was looking at her helicopter and she was like just assessing it going, what would I what like could I have missed if I was just looking at this craft? Right. And mm-hmm. uh, she was saying, like, if you're looking at the windows, if there was no delamination or melting or like obvious cracking, there's no way she would have walked over and like pressed on the window to make sure it was OK. Right. You just look at the window. You go, oh, window's good. But, but <laughs> I assume you get an email list. What kind of what kind of uh, helicopter was this? I'm so interested. But I would argue I'll never be able to fly using the plane for that purpose with the lights and stuff is sort of outside of standard operating procedure for that plane. And that no one's thinking about that as an outside variable. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Like it's almost the film crew that should have, well, but they, how, how are they going to know? No, there should have been like, somebody. What, right? If there's somebody yeah. within the company that like agrees to let this happen, they should think about things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Hey, last thing guys, before we get out of here for this segment, uh, soup sandwich, this is really fun. I didn't know this. Maybe you guys already knew this. Uh, soup sandwich is a great phrase for something that is uh, completely messed up, like foobar sure. or one of those things. Because it's and it's something that is impossible, right? It's not a soup and a sandwich. It's a sandwich filled with soup, which sucks. <laughs> okay. We'll be right back with more messages from you. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
And we have returned. So uh, we're going to hear first from Mark. Uh, and Mark has given us permission to use this name. Mark says, hey, guys, I love your shows. It got me through about 60 hours of sanding a pergola and a deck in my new backyard with great joy. Editorial note. Thank you. Word of the day, Mark. Thank you for teaching us pergola. I didn't know that one. Uh Mark says, I have been a RN, a registered nurse for the VA, Veterans Affairs, uh, since 2010. I have countless stories talking with veterans about Agent Orange, which is probably one of the worst things ever invented by man. The VA uh, <laughs> researches, uh, their various researchers are continuously finding more and more ailments that are linked to herbicide, herbicide. Mark says, say it with a strong H. And veterans from Vietnam are actually getting higher and higher service-connected ratings. This is what the Veterans Service Organization looks at when uh, they're, uh, they're diagnosing whether someone's medical maladies are a result of their time in service. And additionally, they're looking at what folks are reporting to their VA providers. This is how they figure out whether or not your claim will be covered if you were exposed to any number of uh, very dangerous chemicals and substances. Mark says the higher the ratings, the more money these folks will get monthly. You only get full dental benefits under some circumstances. Some states will waive your property taxes if your injuries and conditions are concluded to be 100% connected to your service. Mark says, I know South Carolina does this. I don't know if, uh, if California does it. So it goes state by state. And then Mark wanted us to dive into toxic exposure to tar pits in the Middle East. Mark says, we screen for PTSD, suicidal and homicidal ideation at every visit. Now we are asking about exposure to these tar pits and this is something that I don't think is making a ton of news. Mark says, take a look at tar pits. You'll find the stuff they don't want you to know. Have you guys heard much about this? This is something I think Jon Stewart brought up a while back. They call them burn pits. At least he, I think he, didn't he speak at Congress or something about this? Like it was a big deal. The toxic mm. pits, the toxic burn pits. I'm Ooh. sorry. What, what are these? Toxic pits burning exactly? So, uh, yeah, like to your point, Matt, they're called burn pits often, and I think they're the same thing. Mark, please write in and correct us here. Uh, there's a great article by the New York Times, uh, well, from the New York Times by the journalist John Ismay. Uh, it's what are burn pits? How did they harm U.S. troops? The idea is that they were throwing all this trash from military operations into these pits to burn things instead of, you know, hauling it to a dumpster because there's not exactly a sanitation service. And when this stuff is burning, it produces this toxic smoke. And if you are around that, you don't really have a way to leave. You can't go to your commanding officer and say, mm, this smoke is weird. I'm just going to bug out for a second because, you know, it's a crime to go AWOL like that. And there aren't like face masks they can wear or things that will filter it out? Uh, no, this is a really, really big deal. Like serious illnesses can come mm. from the crap that gets burned in those things. 
and Matt, I was keeping an eye on the chat. You uh, you posted a link to uh, John Stewart's conversation about military burn pits from earlier in 2022. This is what I remembered, like specifically that phrase when you said when we were talking about burn pits here. It's John Stewart sitting there and basically just destroying um, members of Congress who were who voted against expanding some of the benefits for men and women who served who were near these pits. Mm-hmm. That's what I had in my head. So that's just mm-hmm. wanted to share that. Yeah, and that's awesome. And thank you for sending that because I think this is an episode in the future. Uh, what what we see is that hundreds of thousands of veteran claims for service conditions related to exposure here have been denied. And two of the primary reasons for these denials have been, quote, no diagnosis of the claimed condition, end quote. And then uh, another quote, no medical nexus between the claimed condition and military service. So it appears that Uncle Sam, after asking people to give life and limb and mental health of in service of their country, Uncle Sam is going back and saying, I don't know, man, maybe you just burned all that crazy stuff in your backyard. You know? right. That's kind of yeah. on you, bro. Yeah, yeah, you were trying to go for a uh, like a compost type situation. No, that's not what that is. Isn't burning trash in your backyard like totally illegal? Like burning trash is not okay. Check out our yeah. extraordinary rendition episode at the very beginning. We say we pointed out the real definition of a state or government is that force which has the monopoly on violence and crime. So, like, we can't burn a bunch of ammunition and jet fuel and old tires legally in our backyards, but your government can't. <laughs> but government- why would you anyway? You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. For any reason. Right. And this, this I think, I, I wanted just to take a second because I do believe this is an important issue. It does verge upon conspiracy. And as our, as our pops, John's, our spiritual father, John Stewart, has pointed out, this is an issue that is roundly ignored. And it is an ongoing issue. It reminds me of other things. Maybe we loop it all into one episode, uh, depleted uranium, white phosphorus, all those nasty, nasty things. Uh, Those two constitute war crimes, honestly. Uh, But these burn pits create the same sort of long tail consequences and perhaps uh, intergenerational consequences. So we'd love to hear your stories, folks. Uh, We hope this message finds you healthy and safe and amid grand adventure and let us know to the degree that you are comfortable and able what you have encountered with burn pits. Uh, Don't want to end on a bummer. I want to go to one more thing. Guys, did you know that the United Kingdom was telling people to stock up on candles quite recently? Because the power kept going out? <laughs> I, I mean, why else would you, right? Or is it like, does someone in Parliament have a bunch of money in candles? Why does my mind immediately go to Candle in the Wind by uh, Elton John? Like, is there going to be another tragic death of a, of a, uh, a royal? Well, I was going to, hmm, maybe. Maybe they want a group some kind of like candle magic, you know, like sending energy out. There's, you can do energy work with candles, y'all. <laughs> yes, I guess you can technically because <laughs> fire is a form of energy, right? So uh, let's go to let's go to someone who wrote to us uh, via our Instagram conspiracy stuff show. 
North Ireland fan says, hey, love the show. Uh, made it into your top 2% of listeners, according to my Spotify wrapped. Thanks to everybody also, by the way, tuned in all year. Uh, Northern Ireland fan goes on to say, I'm a geologist and spend most of my day walking around fields by myself. And I am so grateful I have your podcast to listen to to keep me company. I'm from the UK and this story caught my attention Oliver Dowden, the deputy prime minister, wants us to stock up on candles in case of a national, to your point, Matt, in case of a national power outage and no. not to rely on our phones so much. That that got the old that got the old man in me being like, yeah, get a paper <laughs> atlas for your car. Exactly. Listen, before it's too late. So uh, uh, we'll call you. NIF, Northern Ireland fan says, it got me thinking about how a few months back they tested out the UK emergency alert system, sending messages to all our phones. Coincidence, I'm sure. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on if you think they know something we don't. And Northern Ireland fan, you helpfully, uh, we, we talked a little bit, you sent uh, your preferred moniker. Uh, we're keeping you anonymous. And uh and I, I, I got to say, this reminds me of that time not too long ago when there was a, a mass warning text that got sent out to residents of Hawaii. Do you remember that? Or Hawaii? About volcanic activity, perhaps? No, was it? I think it was like a nuclear bomb or yeah, something crazy yes. like that. Yeah. And everybody in Hawaii freaked out. Uh, it was uh, in 2018, there was a uh, false missile alert. And yeah. It went out through the official, the, the U.S.'s official beat me here, doc. Oh, sh system is probably mm -hmm. the best way to call it. I don't know. It, it makes me wonder, too, about those things, because about those mass alerts. You know, we all get these tests, at least in the United States. Beep, uh, beep, right? beep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, on radio, sure. And also on our, our phones, which I think is a more direct way to contact sure. people now. Than but I believe he broadcast. uses a similar system in terms of the a tone. Yeah, right. You want the continuity of system. I'm, I'm also thinking about uh, Amber Alerts for a time and no judgment here, folks, for a time people could opt out of Amber Alerts. Do you remember that? People would say, oh, I'm too busy to <laughs> care about this abducted kid. I mean, most people opt out of Amber Alerts just by, like, hitting cancel. <laughs> or, like, ignore. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. The only thing I wish is that you could silence it so it vibrated really loudly rather than beeped at you. In but case it's important recording. that you get it because what if you I mean, did see something? What if you, like, happened to have seen something? And then you wouldn't have known. The main thing I wish is that uh, we didn't exist in a time where people kidnap children. Hey, I mean, I, that, that, that would be, nice be cool. Yeah. It'd be nice if people I think maybe we all feel that way. <laughs> kidnap children. Da, 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 I mean, the text message system is good. I get it. But the, there's also, you know, there's a bigger question here, which is who flips the switch on these things, right? How did this 2018 false missile alert, how did it happen? It reminds me of the old Cold War days when that one Russian sub got so close to launching nukes, except for one of the commanding officers said, hold on a second, perhaps we're being rash. I, I don't know. And, and to the question of whether, whether or not the United Kingdom's government knows something the public does not know. Um, haven't found anything about this. 
I think it's a good idea in general to stock up on candles. I don't know. You guys have candles at your house? I like tea light candles and I always buy uh, scented candles when they're on sale. Um, but that's unrelated. But no, I, I have enough. I have enough. I've just got a chest full of black candles. Yeah. Whoa. What are you up to, buddy? Energy work. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, uh, I've got some candles for situations, right? And for specific situations, uh, a lot of battery powered flashlights too. Um, got one solar powered flashlight that I just mm. keep on the rooftop under, oh. under a thing. I don't know. It better work. I should, you know what I should do? I should put in a regimen wherein I check that thing on a regular basis before I need it to work. Just Dude, like with planes. Exactly. Pre-flight candle powered <laughs> flashlight checks. Yes. Finally, it rolls off the tongue. You heard it here first. Uh, I honestly, I don't know whether there is something sinister here. The idea of stocking up on energy sources or light sources that are not dependent upon a energy grid makes a lot of sense because if you are not living in the U.S., you may not be aware of this. Texas, in particular, has earned a terrible reputation for crap in the bag on their energy grid. And not too long ago, actually, if you're listening to this now, probably within your lifetime, the U.S. government did some really shady stuff on the West Coast with rolling blackouts. Do check that out. Do you guys remember that? Sure. Deregulation of energy companies and then all of a sudden holding access to electricity hostage. Well, that's some like future diabolical Mr. Burns type stuff right there. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's on the table, y'all. It's on the table, and uh, it could be on the way. We're going to curtail this last part. Uh, folks, we want to hear from you, especially if you are in the United Kingdom. Do you think there is some mystery afoot? Why is the deputy PM requesting that you buy candles? We'll look into uh We'll look into the financials a bit and figure out if this guy is part of Big Candle or if it is better just to be prepared. Thanks, as always, to everyone who has tuned in. Thank you to Ground Control. Thank you to Soup Sandwich, Big Perp, Mark, and, of course, North Ireland fan. Would you like to join the show? We can't wait to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff on X, Facebook, and uh, YouTube. Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. Call us, 1-833-STDWITK. When you call in, you've got three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your name and message on the air. If you don't want to do that, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.